All right, good evening. Thank you very much for joining us for Lotus Sutra study tonight. Uh, we are going to study chapter study chapters 21 and 22, uh, two chapters on transmission. But before we begin, let us chant the Odaiboku three times together. I'll do the first one solo and then join in on two and three. Namu Byo Dengekyo Namu Byo Dengekyo Namu Byo Dengekyo So it looks like we have uh, one person joining online. Thank you very much. So tonight, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to study chapters 21 and 22, two chapters on transmission. And uh, so chapter 21 is titled The Supernatural Powers of the Tathagata. And uh, this chapter is one of the three major chapters in the Lotus Sutra. Uh, the other two are chapter 2 and chapter 16. Uh, and Nietzsche and Shu priests uh, read uh, these three chapters often uh, during our morning and evening service. Um, in particular, we, in addition to chapter uh, one, 2 and 16, we include chapter 21 because it is the third most important chapter in the Lotus Sutra. Hearing the Bodhisattva's vows, uh, from Bodhisattvas from underground, uh, the vows, to expound the teaching of the Lotus Sutra after the Buddha's party nirvana, the Buddha entrusts them to propagate the Lotus Sutra, especially to those in the latter age of the Dharma. Then he uh, delightedly reveals ten kinds of supernatural powers. The congregation are very surprised to see these phenomena for the first time. <clears throat> so, we have... Um, in, this is our uh, sixth in, out of seven uh, study sessions on the Lotus Sutra this summer. And in session uh, five, we talked about the uh, emergence of the Bodhisattvas from underground and the Buddha's request to the congregation who would spread this teaching after his, uh, his, his death, after his party nirvana. And various groups of people, as I mentioned, had uh, responded to this request. However, he indicated that he had bodhisattvas that he had trained from the, from the past that, uh, that would do this. And then the bodhisattvas from underground arose, the bodhisattvas arose from underground. And uh, in, uh, chap in our session number four, I talked about various transition moments, or maybe it was session five, transition moments of the Lotus Sutra. One I mentioned occurs in chapter 10, uh, where the emphasis is, uh, is, is moved from worshiping the Buddha's relics to worshiping the Dharma of the Buddha, the Buddha's teachings. The transition from the, the body of the Buddha to the Dharma of the Buddha occurs in chapter 10. And in chapter 11, another transition occurs. I had mentioned then a transition from present and past to the future. Uh, because it is in chapter 11 that the Buddha uh, begins to talk about the future of Buddhism after his death. <coughs> it seems like it's going to be a scratchy throat now. So we have a transition that occurs in uh, chapter 11 from the present to the future. 
the uh, Buddha is concerned now about the life or the, uh, the, the spread of the Dharma after his death. So uh, let's talk about, um, so, so in um, uh, page 292, it says, World Honored One, after your extinction, we will expound this sutra in the worlds of the Buddhas of your replicas and also <clears throat> in the place from which you will pass away. So, let us review the transmission of the Lotus Sutra after Shakyamuni Buddha's death. In chapter 11, the Buddha told the congregation that his party nirvana is near and asked someone to expound the Lotus Sutra after his death. That's on page 187. In chapter 13, Medicine King Bodhisattva and 20,000 other Bodhisattvas spoke up that they would transmit the Lotus Sutra, but in some other world because the people of this world have many evils. Uh, but the Buddha did not respond to them. In a sense, he, uh, he declined their offer by not accepting it. And that was on page 203. In chapter 15, there were 80 billion Nayuta Bodhisattvas who had come from the other worlds who made up their minds to expound the sutra in this world and requested permission to protect, to keep, to read, to recite, to copy, <coughs> and to make offerings to the sutra of the, on, on this earth. However, the Buddha refused them because, <clears throat> because there are countless bodhisattvas uh, who will do the task after the Buddha's extinction. And then suddenly the earth split open before Shakyamuni Buddha and these countless bodhisattvas sprung up. This occurs on page 228. In chapter 21, these innumerable great bodhisattvas from underground vowed to expound the teaching of the Lotus Sutra on this earth after the Buddha's death. And Shakyamuni assigns them to transmit the Lotus Sutra in the future. This transmission to these great bodhisattvas, these bodhisattvas from underground, in other words, ourselves, if we actualize that in our life, is called special transmission, as distinct from a general transmission. So the special transmission occurs in chapter 21 and is specifically for the bodhisattvas from underground. Then in chapter 22, the, the chapter that's titled Transmission is actually a general transmission. This is a transmission to all the bodhisattvas, all practitioners of the Buddha. Quoting from the Lotus Sutra on page 292, it says, It is because we also wish to obtain this true, pure, and great Dharma to keep, read, recite, expound, and copy the sutra and to make offerings to it. These five practices that we perform must not only be for the sake of ourselves, but must also be for others. To make offerings to the sutra means to show appreciation to the sutra and to the Buddha. Nichiren Shonen and Mount Minobu always offered to the Buddha food, clothes, and other items. <clears throat> and so we also offer, uh, make offerings to the Buddha of food and clothing and and uh, uh, various other things that are, uh, and money that are donated uh, to the Buddha. And when we make offerings to the temple, we are in fact making offerings to the Buddha as well because it is um, supporting the temple and helping it spread the Dharma that, accomplish, that helps to accomplish this special transmission that we, all of us, vowed to make in chapter 22. So let's talk about the 10 great supernatural powers. 
So thereupon the world, uh, thereupon the world honored one displayed his ten great supernatural powers in the presence of the multitude. And this occurs again on page 292. These are the following uh, supernatural powers that the Buddha displayed. He stretched out his long tongue, indicating that the Buddha's words are true. He emitted, emitted rays from his body, uh, which uh, represents the Buddha's virtues, inspire others. Coughing at the same time, the way of all Buddhas is one. Snapping fingers, Buddhas are rejoicing. The ground shaking in six ways, the people are impressed. To see billions of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in this world, people in other worlds also attain Buddhahood with the Lotus Sutra. So because the Buddha, with the ray of light that the Buddha emitted from his, uh, from his uh, forehead, en enabled um, other people in other worlds to see people in this world attain Buddhahood. So people in other worlds also attain Buddhahood with the Lotus Sutra because they saw us or people in this world practicing the Lotus Sutra. Uh, to hear other Buddha's voices from the sky means universal laws are the same with this world and other worlds. And saying, Nama Sakamuni Buddha, all people are devoted to the Buddha. It is the same to say, Namu Shakamuni Buddha in Japanese. And strewing various objects, all people appreciate the Shakamuni Buddha. And a single Buddha world means all there's peace and happiness in the Buddha land. So the universe is the body of the eternal Buddha, the universe. All phenomena in the universe are the eternal Buddha's powers and eternal processes of evolution. Thus, we are a part of the eternal process of evolution physically and spiritually. In chapter 21, we have four phrases of primary mystery. Tiantai uh, talked about these. And this is on page 294, the quote, to sum up all the teachings of the Tathagata, all the unhindered supernatural powers of the Tathagata, all the treasury of the hidden core of the Tathagata, and all the profound achievements of the Tathagata are revealed and expounded explicitly in this sutra. So all the teachings of the Tathagata are universal laws and unchangeable. That's one. Number two is all the unhindered supernatural powers of the Tathagata can save all beings in any place and any occasion. And three is all the treasures of the hidden core of the Tathagata contain the most appropriate teaching to each situation. Number four, all the profound achievements of the Tathagata are hard to understand for us but benefit us without, no, without noticing. These phrases mean that the Lotus Sutra contains all of the above. Therefore, we must keep, read, recite, expound, and copy the Sutra and act according to the teachings of the Sutra with all our hearts, wherever they are. Then we receive the merits of the eternal Buddha just as the children inherit genes from their parents. So the phrase on page 294, here the Buddhas attained Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Here the Buddhas turned the wheel of the Dharma. Here the Buddhas entered into Parinirvana. This means that a place where the Lotus Sutra is practiced is itself the place of enlightenment. So when we practice at home or when we practice at the temple or 
we practice driving our car or walking our dog or, or working or whatever it may be, that it's because of our practice that we can turn that place where we are and where we exist into the Buddha's land, a place of enlightenment. So, and also that uh, for practitioners of the sutra, a temple or a monastery is everywhere. It could be your home, your work, on the street, and so forth. The eternal Buddha is not, a, not at a particular place like heaven in the West or, in the, or the universe, but rather it is any place where we practice the Dharma. So it's our practice that will turn our world, our existence, into existing in the Buddha land, our world into the Buddha land. We, uh, it's not by going someplace or uh, visiting someplace or passing away and dying and going to someplace, but it is in this place where we are that we can manifest the Buddha world. <coughs> so, uh, the phrase on page 296, anyone who expounds it after my extinction according to its true meaning, will be able to eliminate the darkness of the living beings of the world where he walks about, just as the light of the sun and moon eliminates all darkness. So the name uh, Nichiren, Sun Lotus, Nichi, uh, Sun, Ren, Lotus, comes from this quotation. The light of the sun eliminates all darkness. Nichiren wished to be the person who would eliminate all darkness of all living beings to through the chanting of Odaimoku, Namu Myoho Rengekyo. Buddha Shakyamuni chose the bodhisattvas from underground that, he, that was headed by Jogyo, or superior practice. It is to them that the Buddha transmits the Lotus Sutra after his death. Nichiren Daishonin compared his position to that of superior practice's bodhisattva. When he was exiled to Sato Island after nearly passed, missing, after almost being executed at Tatsunokuchi, he believed that he was the rebirth of superior practices bodhisattva. He discussed this in his essay, Shoho Jiso Sho, and I quote, I, Nichiren, a man born in the age of degeneration, have nearly achieved the task of pioneering the propagation of the wonderful law, Myoho, the task assigned to the bodhisattva superior practices. I, Nichiren, and the one who takes the lead of the bodhisattvas from underground. Then may I not be one of them, and if I am one of them, may not all my disciples and followers be their kinsmen? If you are one in faith with Nichiren, you too are one of the bodhisattvas from underground. And I have said this, this same sort of thing over and over again, that, that we that if we practice the Lotus Sutra in this age, we're chanting Odaimoku and reciting the Sutra, then might we then also be one of these bodhisattvas from underground? Because they're the ones who promise to do this in this age. So if we are acting as if or like these bodhisattvas from underground, then might we not be one of those bodhisattvas from underground? And if we uh, might be one of those bodhisattvas from underground, then might also all of our actions be the actions of bodhisattvas from underground? These are the same kinds of things that I've said over. Let me read this again. I, Nichiren, and the one who takes the lead of the bodhisattvas from underground, 
then may I not be one of them? So, we're practicing the Lotus Sutra. Might you not be one of them as well? We're practicing the Lotus Sutra at this time. We're following Nichiren, who fulfilled the function of Jogyo Bodhisattva. And if I am one of them, then may not all my disciples and followers be their kinsmen? So if, if we're following Nichiren Shonen, and he was fulfilling the prophecy of Jogyo Bodhisattva, and we ourselves are practicing the Lotus Sutra in this age, then might we not just possibly be these Bodhisattvas from underground? The ones who have this, this infinite uh, into the past and infinite into the future relationship, this eternal relationship with the Buddha Shakyamuni. So my, um, uh, I, I, uh, until I re read that quote, I had not realized that I was actually uh, saying something that uh, Nietzsche had read. I had said, maybe I had um, read it in the past and forgotten it or whatever, but, but it's the same sort of logic statement that I've, been, I've said here many, many times uh, at the temple when talking about uh, our relationship with the, uh, with the Lotus Sutra. So I would like to um, talk a little bit more about this chapter, um, chapter 21. So the Lotus Sutra is divided into two halves. The, um, I mentioned this in our uh, intro class, the, the introduction to the uh, and overview of the Lotus Sutras in session one. And I've mentioned it before, and you've probably heard me mention it several times, that we have the division of the Lotus Sutra into two halves. We have the, um, the fir first through, uh, the first half of the Lotus Sutra being the Shakumon, or the provisional uh, teachings, and we have the last half of the Lotus Sutra, the Hommon, or the essential teachings. And so this chapter, this chapter 21, might be considered the transmission chapter for the, uh, the Hommon section of Lotus Sutra, or the practitioners of Hommon, the essential teachings, and chapter 21 could be considered the transmission for the uh, Shakumon, um, uh, uh, the uh, provisional uh, uh, practitioners of the Lotus Sutra. So, um, there's a couple of things here. The Buddha, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, the Buddha's long and broad tongue. The long and broad tongue reaching to the Brahma heaven testifies to the truth of what had been taught. It is a way of affirming that what the Buddha teaches is true, especially true in the sense of being effective in relieving suffering. This tongue symbolizes the length and breadth of the Dharma. It is both broad or inclusive and long in that it can reach everywhere. Though it takes many forms, the Dharma goes everywhere and is one. That is, it is never, neither divided nor fragmented. So thus the image of the long broad tongue reaching to the heavens is called the symbol of Nimon Shin Itsu, or two gateways, one in faith. That is, the, in, the faith of, in, in faith, the two halves of the Lotus Sutra are one. 
and Sakamuni Buddha and the original Buddha are one. This is why, uh, for instance, the central object of religious devotion is called the eternal Sakamuni Buddha. So the unity of Sakamuni Buddha and the original Buddha is relevant to the Lotus Sutra. Uh, <coughs> it's related to the Lotus Sutra's repeated um, affirmation of the reality and importance of this concrete actual world. The original universal Buddha is always an embodied Buddha. For us, principally Shakyamuni Buddha, who is uniquely the Buddha of this world, the one who declared the Lotus Sutra, and the one to be the father of the world. So, the abstract, universal, and original Buddha has to be embodied in order to make a difference in this world. So without Shakyamuni Buddha, for us at least, there might be no Buddha at all. So in other words, we need this physical manifestation of the Buddha in order to uh, realize and in order to actualize the, the universal concept of Buddha or enlightenment or this eternal Buddha. So, uh, <coughs> and then the emitting light of innumerable colors from every pore. The light of truth dispels the darkness both of delusion and of despair. This points to the truth that it is better to eliminate the darkness than to complain about it. That is, uh, to the importance of being positive. In other words, being positive uh, helps us uh, overcome darkness. And as I have mentioned before, when I talked about this, these predictions of future enlightenment, the Buddha methodically goes through uh, various and talks to various groups in the congregation and predicts their future enlightenment. He's giving them hope. He's giving them a reason to be happy. And as we're told in Lotus Sutra, and as Nichiren tells us over and, many, over and over many times, by chanting O Daimoku, we can change this land to the Buddha land. So we can begin to be positive and hopeful where under ordinary circumstances we might become uh, disheartened or discouraged. And we begin to, the process, you know, I always, I always encourage people to chant with joy, chant loudly and with great joy. When we begin to um, change our life to joy, even if we're only chanting, that carries over into the rest of our life. And it enables us to begin to see joy around us when otherwise we might not see joy. But if when we chant we're despondent, and sometimes we truly are discouraged and disheartened, but when we chant we should really strive to feel great joy, to feel this joy as if it's a wish or prayer even but to feel this joy when we chant, and have great joy when we chant the Odaimoku, because we're carrying out the <coughs> most effective practice for changing our entire life into one of great joy. And we begin that process by starting it within our heart and within our life, feeling this joy and trying to create this joy, let this joy well up, and then the Odaimoku strengthens it and gives it power so that we can exert joy all around us and change our environment to great joy. Because it's changing ourselves that, in effect, 
changes our environment. It's not our environment changes first and then we change, but it's the change that takes place within us that causes this change within our environment. So, further, let me talk a little bit about The Buddhas cough simultaneously. This strange event, not easily interpreted, may signify the oral preaching of the Dharma, as one often has to clear one's throat with a slight cough before speaking before an audience. Just like maybe perhaps you've heard me cough. <laughs> so so that this coughing is done simultaneously has been taken to signify that all Buddhas teach the same thing. This event, is all, uh, all, this event is also taken as signifying that the teachings are united as one. This is a symbol of two gates in one teaching, affirming that in principle the way of the Shravakas and the way of Bodhisattvas are united in, as one teaching. The Buddha snapped their fingers. So this equally strange event is said to represent giving assurance to someone or making a pledge or promise. It is called two gateways, one in humanity. It is taken to symbolize the important activity of identifying with others, an essential and vital part of bodhisattva practice. One might even say that fundamental to the practice of the bodhisattva way is sympathy for others, a sense of being united with someone else in a profound way. The entire teaching of the Lotus Sutra is ultimately resolved into the spirit of union between oneself and others. The dramatic acts of coughing and finger snapping, the texts invite us not only to see something marvelous with the eyes of the imagination, but also to imagine hearing the marvelous sounds of countless Buddhas coughing simultaneously and snapping their fingers in union. That these sounds are extremely powerful is signified by their being heard in all the worlds throughout the universe. So when I was uh, uh, in Japan one time uh, uh, attending a lecture on the Lotus Sutra, I asked one of the Japanese professors there about this, about the finger snapping. I didn't ask about the coughing, but I did ask about the finger snapping. And um, he, uh, his theory was is that it was a way to um, get attention. And so when we snap our finger, we wake up, we alert ourselves to something important happening. Uh, that's another way of looking at it. Another way might be that, you know, when uh, you're happy and excited, you know, I don't know if you've ever snapped your fingers when a music's playing or something like that, but you, uh, it's, it's a, a way of expressing joy as well. So not only is getting attention, but also, you know, enjoy and, and rhythm and harmony. So these are various ways of, of interpreting this. Now I'd like to, a little bit about the phrase, um, the sounds cause all the Buddha lands to tremble and shake. 
The trembling and shaking in six ways of all the lands and all the worlds express the idea that the entire universe and everything in it is moved by the fantastic powers of the Buddha. Here, divine powers are displayed not by the Buddhas directly, but by the Buddha lands. An influence of Buddha Dharma over nature is affirmed. The Dharma Flower Sutra proclaims over and over that the Dharma is not only a human thing, but a cosmic reality. We talked about this in the lecture when we talked about the appearance of the stupa from underground and the appearance of many treasures Buddha from another place in the universe. We also talked about it when the Buddha brings his replicas from all over the universe to various Buddha lands and brings them to this land and then joins various worlds from other universes into this land and joins them together and purifies them. The universal uh, uh, nature uh, the, of cosmic reality also recognized here is that the sense that when we hear the sutra preached, we should be moved, even shaken, from our normal pursuits to the point of actually following the teaching in daily life. Now, perhaps sometimes when you listen to someone perhaps uninspiring like myself, then maybe you're not moved. But when we study the Lotus Sutra, when we chant Odaimoku, when we recite the sutra, we should try to feel connection with the sutra and to try to feel our life moving, our life changing. Even if only in teeny tiny itsy bitsy little bits, our life changing to one of joy and our land changing to one of joy and then our universe to changing to one of joy. So we have here the concept of uh, two gateways and one practice. We've talked about uh, the Lotus Sutra in the first half of the, the Lotus Sutra, we have the uh, three Buddha vehicles into the one Buddha vehicle. So two gateways in one practice. This does not mean that the same practice is suitable for everyone, but that there is a profound unity among authentic practices. So the same practice is not necessarily suitable for everyone, but there is a unity among authentic practices. So, uh, and, and this, we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in this next section. All living beings, all of the living beings of all the worlds are able to see those in this world. And this phrase means that in the first chapter of the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha emits a ray of light by which people in this world can see everything in other worlds. But in this case, it's the opposite. By emitting a ray of light from this world, all the living beings in the other worlds can see Shakyamuni Buddha and abundant or many treasures Buddha and all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, monks and nuns and lay people in this world that all kinds of living beings can see by the Buddha's light the means uh, by which all live, by, by which all can live by the wisdom of the Dharma. That all living beings, human and non-human, even those in other worlds, can live by the Buddha's light. And so this is uh, called uh, Mirai Kietsu, 
or in the future, unity of opportunity. This means that there is no essential difference in the capacity to receive the Dharma among living beings. All can be awakened. And we talk about this in the parable of, uh, or in the simile of herbs, where this great cloud spreads over and, and nourishes by rain all the different plants of various heights and various sizes and so on and so forth. There's no essential difference in the capacity to receive the Dharma among living beings. All people can be awakened. And then the phrase that from the heavenly beings in the sky sing in loud voices. Uh, so what is expressed here is the importance of the Buddha Dharma not only for beings in this world, but also for gods and other heavenly beings, or another expression of its cosmic reality and importance. So, but the hearing of heavenly beings singing in loud voices in the sky also suggests that living beings can be inspired by what they hear. So, we can sometimes possibly be inspiring by sharing our joy or even our attempt at joy with other people. You know, saying something to someone, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. We don't have to lie about our struggles. I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm undergoing this particular obstacle, but I feel confident that I will resolve it through my practice of Buddhism. Someone can be inspired from that. We don't have to make up something. We don't have to say that we've overcome something or that we have joy when maybe we haven't gotten that joy yet. But, but we have hope because in the Lotus Sutra, it tells us that we can overcome our suffering and change this land to the Buddha's land. And perhaps we've seen examples of that in our previous practice. You know, I overcame something that I thought was impossible years and years ago. And now I'm faced with something that seems impossible. Maybe I can do it again. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll work again. And so we tell someone, we share someone, you know, I'm really struggling right now, but, but I'm, I'm really chanting or I'm doing my Buddha practice. And I have confidence because in the past I've overcome things. And I'm certain that this time I'll overcome this as well. So we need not make up things. We need not, we need not be phony or uh, fake in our joy. But even that is a form of joy. I'm hopeful that things will change because I have seen other things change in my life as well. And I am determined that I will overcome this. And so we have a more positive outlook. We've, we've maybe lit one candle in that dark room. Maybe we're getting ready to light another candle and another candle till eventually we banish the darkness completely. And yet, with that first candle, we banish the darkness because it's light already. So... This is um, uh, sometimes referred to as Mirai Kyo Itsu, also, which is in the future, the unity in teaching. 
So it means that while in reality there are now conflicts among teachings, often with various ones claiming that only their teachings are correct, in the future there will no longer be so. It will no longer be so. As people realize and practice two gates, one teaching, they will come to realize that apparently conflicting teachings can be brought into a unity by the power of the Lotus Sutra. So the Lotus Sutra seeks to unify, not to be a, in a position of superiority, but to unify. And that's why all we say all the teachings are contained within the Lotus Sutra. There's no denial of any of the Buddha's previous teachings. They're all contained within the Lotus Sutra. The Lotus Sutra embraces all the teachings. Whereas other teachings may selectively exclude something else because they were taught for one group of people or another group of people. They may appear exclusive. Whereas the Lotus Sutra embraces them all. It doesn't subvert them. It doesn't suppress them. It doesn't occupy a position of superiority, but embraces all of them. Uh, there is... Um, uh, a book I was reading uh, this summer, um, uh, taking some time to do some slow reading, and this one book, um, was called, it's in the book Eight, From Aging to Saging, and it talks in there about how um, the more wisdom and the more um, a person studies and, and embraces knowledge, uh, that there becomes less and less distinction. Uh, and, and a person focuses less on differences. So I, um, I, I wrote on my blog once about this, this relationship pyramid, that at the base of a pyramid, we have the greatest distance between things. And so we might, we might say that, you know, as we begin our study and we're focusing on, on a particular religion or a particular belief, we tend to see things in contrast to what we're believing. And we say, oh, well, they're different than I am. And we, we, we um, uh, become fixated, possibly, on differences. And if we think about how we relate to people, the further apart we are from people, the greater the differences that we can see. Well, they're not like me. Because they have different color, or maybe they vote Republican, or maybe they're Christian. And we begin to focus on all the differences. And so we're at the base of the pyramid. We're right down here, where the greatest distance between the sides is. But the higher up we move and focus less on differences and more on wisdom and understanding and compassion, the closer we get. And so as we begin to look at people in a compassionate way, we begin to see many more similarities than we do differences. And so when we're in love, we don't see any difference between our partner and ourselves. We just love them. And so right at the top, we're not focused on the differences. But then sometimes as we slip out of love, we begin to focus on the differences again, and we become estranged from our partners. We become estranged from our society. We become estranged from our friends because we fall back down into focusing on ourselves and our differences. But the more we come up to the top and look at 
and look at similarities and compassion for other people, then the difference becomes less between us and others. So then we come to all the living beings and other worlds put their hands together, face this world, and praise the Buddha. Uh, This has been understood as a prediction that all living beings will eventually take refuge in the Buddha. Uh, In the future, a unity of humanity. Now there are terrible conflicts among people, frequent wars, competition for scarce resources, ethnic feuds, high levels of crime, family quarrels, and so on. But if the Dharma Flower Sutra teaches, uh, but if the Dharma Flower Sutra teaches, people learn to practice nimon nin itsu. That is, if they learn to respect other people, listen to them, and have sympathy for them, the world will become a more peaceful place. Again, getting back to this, this relationship pyramid, this relationship triangle. The more we focus on ourselves and the differences, the further apart we get from other people, but the more we think about other people and have compassion, the, the closer we become to other people. So living beings in other worlds uh, toss all sorts of decorations into the direction of this world where they come together like clouds, forming a canopy over the assembled Buddhas. So the coming together of a variety of offerings to form a single uh, canopy represents the variety of practices coming together to form one harmonious practice. It is called Mirai Gyoitsu, in the future unity in practice. This does not mean that everyone will practice in the same way, but that the variety of practices can be made into a coherent unity. And then the passage between all the worlds opens up as though there were a single world. By following the Buddha way, basically recognizing the potential in others to become Buddhas, their ability to be, their ability to be a Buddha um, for someone, and by practicing appropriately, that is helpfully, all sorts of differences can be overcome. Let me uh, cover that again. So basically recognizing the potential in others to become a Buddha, or their ability to become a Buddha for someone, or their ability to be, to be a Buddha for someone, and by practicing appropriately, that is helpfully, all sorts of differences can be overcome. It can be, we can overcome ethnic, national, religious, gender, language, educational, economic, and so on. All sorts of people who are equal in the Buddha's life become united in purpose. This is termed mirai itsu, in the future, unity in principle. Here, unity in principle does not mean in theory, but more like unity in truth. It points to the potential to transform this world into a pure land of beauty, harmony, and peace. So I just thought I'd share that with you uh, to cover that. It is, we are over halfway done. And now let me go to chapter 22. Um, Chapter 22, uh, we look at the title and we see transmission and we think, oh, that's what we're doing. But, But really our transmission as 
Bodhisattva is practicing in the latter age, in this age of degeneration, our transmission, our special, unique transition is in chapter 21. Chapter 22 is one of the shortest chapters, if not the shortest chapter in the uh, entire Lotus Sutra. And this is one that I frequently quote. I frequently quote this line. When you see anyone who does not receive this sutra by faith, this is on page 297, you should show him some, <coughs> some other profound teaching of mine. Teach him, benefit him, and cause him to rejoice. And I offer this to people as an encouragement that we don't always have to use Buddhist terms. If we, if we offer up Buddhism to someone and they, no, 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 no thanks, or they go, no, like this, you know, or whatever, whatever their reaction is, we don't need to keep going. They're not accepting. So let us teach them something else. Let us show them some other of the Buddhist teachings. We can teach them cause and effect. We don't have to call it karma. We don't have to give it a Buddhist name. We can teach them about dependent origination. But we don't have to call it that. And we don't have to say, oh, well, you know, there's this Buddhist teaching I like to share with you called dependent origination. And people are just going to go, eh, like this. They're not going to want to hear you. But you say, but if we talk about and say, you know, uh, I believe that we're directly related to all people because I can't go out in my car and drive down the street without the benefit of many people having done lots of different things. I can't eat my food without the benefit of farmers who've, who've farmed it and the clerk in the store. And we can show people, we can educate people to the connections that exist between all of us and how we are dependent upon other people. How a Christian can't drive around in this country without the benefit of a Muslim. Because who is it that gets most of our oil? Most of our oil comes from Muslim countries. So we benefit by Muslim. And us as Buddhists, we can't practice Buddhism without the efforts of Christians and Muslims and many other people who don't practice Buddhism. So we can never be superior in our practice, thinking that, oh, I'm Buddhist. I'm better than somebody else. Because we couldn't be Buddhist without all those people that we think that we're better than. We have a connection to people. And we can share that with other people and make them more enlightened and more receptive to universal truths that are contained in Buddhism without necessarily talking about Buddhism per se. We can share with them the Eightfold Path of right speech, right thought, right effort, right livelihood. We can share these ideas with people. And so it says here, show him some other profound teaching of mine. Teach him, benefit him, and cause him to rejoice. Someone comes up to you and says, you know, Suzanne, you're just a really great person. And whenever I'm around you, it makes me feel good. And, and I'm happy. We do that. We cause them to rejoice. They are praising the Buddha within you. Even if they don't name it, they're saying, wow, 
I really praise and respect the Buddha that is manifest in Suzanne. And when you go into the, the grocery store and you smile at the clerk and you say, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for working today so that I could go shopping. Thank you very much. And they smile at you and they say, oh, thank you. You cause them to rejoice. You're praising the Buddha within them. You're saying, hello, Buddha. And that Buddha awakens within them and they respond. Maybe they don't always smile. Maybe they're carrying a big burden. But you're still waking up that Buddha within them, causing them to rejoice. How many people go through life every day and never praise someone? But when we praise people, we praise them because we want them to be happy. We want them to experience and feel joy, to awaken the Buddha within them. So the 28 chapters of the Lotus Sutra are divided in half. I'm talking about this. The first half is called the Provisional Teachings, or Shakyamuni, which reveals the historical Shakyamuni, while the last half is called the True Teaching, or Hommon, or Essential Teaching, which reveals the eternal nature of Shakyamuni Buddha, as we talked about last session in chapter 16. So therefore, the disciples that appeared in the first half are called the disciples of Shakyamun, while the disciples revealed in the last half are called the disciples of Hommon. In chapter 21, Shakyamuni Buddha transmits the Lotus Sutra and assigns the disciples of Hommon the missionary works after his death. <clears throat> that was us in chapter 21. So these disciples were the great bodhisattvas from underground from who... Uh, whom the eternal and original Buddha taught in their countless previous lives. They received the special transmission in chapter 21. This special transmission meant that they were the ones who disseminated the Lotus Sutra during the age of degeneration. On the other hand, in this chapter, chapter 22, the Buddha transmits the sutra and assigns the disciples of Shakyamun, or the provisional disciples. They were the disciples of the historical Shakyamuni, whose figure was limited and temporary. Therefore, these disciples' dissemination was also limited to during the first 1,000 years after the Buddha's death. Nichiren Chodan had not realized that he was the rebirth of Bodhisattva Jogyo, a disciple of Homon, until the Sado exile at the age of 50. After Tatsunokuchi and the exile of Sado, he firmly believed that eternal that the eternal Buddha transmitted the Lotus Sutra to him to disseminate in the era of degeneration because Nichiren was persecuted many times in different occasions as predicted in chapter 13. He says that those who chant Odaimoku are also the disciples of Hommon, or the essential teaching. Otherwise, it would be hard to chant. Thus, we must chant Odaimoku and explain the teachings of the Lotus Sutra to others. The main part of the Lotus Sutra tells how Shakyamuni transmitted it to the Bodhisattvas and then how they disseminate it and make it prevalent by overcoming all hardships in this evil world. So, thereupon, Shakyamuni, uh, this is on page 297, thereupon Shakyamuni Buddha arose from the seat of the Dharma by his great supernatural powers put his right hand on the heads of the innumerable bodhisattvas and said, 
For many hundreds of thousands of billions of the samkhyas of kalpas, I studied and practiced the dharma, difficult to obtain, and finally attained anuttara samyak sambodai. Now I will transmit the dharma to you, propagate it with all your hearts, and make it known far and wide. So according to Hindu customs, to put one's hand on someone's head is to entrust him or her. Sakamuni Buddha entrusted all bodhisattvas who gathered to listen to the Dharma at Mount Sacred Eagle. He put his hand on the heads of all bodhisattvas to transmit the Lotus Sutra and requested them to propagate it. He did this three times. Abhiseka in Sanskrit is a similar, similar ceremony in India. When a king is installed on his throne, his head is wetted with ocean water. This is called kancho in Japanese. And we perform a similar ceremony when a person sometimes is, um, when we bless a newborn baby. You know, in a way, all religions do. You know, we have uh, baptism, we put, you know, they put water on a person's forehead, or when someone passes away, sometimes they'll put, uh, put the cross on people's foreheads. What we do at the hospital as chaplains. So he put his, head, his hand on their heads twice more. So the Buddha Shakyamuni put his hand on their heads three times and transmits the Dharma to them. Why did he put his hand on their heads three times? This is because there are three mental attitudes when one expounds the Dharma, revealed in chapter 10. They should enter the room of the Tathagata, wear the robe of the Tathagata, sit on the seat of the Tathagata. The Buddha advises the expounders to have great compassion, to be gentle and patient, and to see equality of all things without attachment. And quote, I will transmit the Dharma to you. Keep, read, recite, and expound this sutra in which the Dharma is given, and cause all living beings to hear it and know it. The Buddha is warning that one must keep, read, and recite the sutra before he or she can expound the sutra. One must keep up with these practices to save their own virtue. Otherwise, people will not follow the expounders. So we practice, we strengthen our life, and we can encourage other people. When our life begins to change, then we become encouraging to other people. When we falter in our practice and we become discouraging, then people are discouraged when they're around us and they don't want to practice. So again, when, quoting, when you see anyone who does not receive this sutra by faith, you should show him some other profound teaching of mine, teach him benefit and cause him to rejoice. There are many people who do not listen to the profound teaching of the Lotus Sutra. The Buddha advises us to educate them by some other teaching of the Dharma, like uh, the Three Laws, the Middle Way, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, and so on. These are the fundamental teachings of Buddhism. One must lead others with these teachings step by step, depending upon their capacity. One, to show him means that if you show him how to if you show how to do it, they may wish to learn. Teach them means that you should explain in detail the meaning of the Dharma one by one. To benefit him means that you will practice the Dharma to show that it benefits him. To cause him to rejoice means to show that continuing to do the practice will bring joyfulness. So then the bodhisattvas say uh, to the Buddha and on page 298, we will do as you command, certainly, one world-honored one, do not worry. 
The Bodhisattvas in Shakyamon respectfully and joyfully said these words three times simultaneously. Because the Buddha repeated his transmission of the Dharma to the Bodhisattvas three times, the Bodhisattvas also said these words three times. Three is an indivisible sacred number. When you have a serious prayer, it may be better to repeat the prayer three times. You might think about that sometimes. Sometimes say your prayer three times. Thereupon, quoting on page 290, thereupon Chakabuni Buddha, wishing to send back to their home worlds the Buddhas of his replicas who had come from the worlds of the ten quarters, said, May the Buddhas be where they wish to be. May the stupa of many treasures, Buddha, be where it was. Since Chakabuni Buddha has finished his lecture on the Lotus Sutra at this time, he requests all Buddhas and his replicas to return to their home worlds in the ten quarters. He also requests to close the door of the stupa of many treasures Buddha who came to prove that this sutra is excellent and true. Also, this is the end of the assembly in the sky. Similarly, Nichiren Chu priests quote part of the above sentence, wishing to send back to their home world at the end of prayers or ceremonies such as burning religious items and closing of eye of Gohan's or family shrines. We do this when we sing. Um, at the end, uh, when we sing uh, Busso, uh, to wish the souls in those religious items to return to their original lands and the material uh, beings return to nature. Having heard these words, according on page 298, having heard these words of the Buddha, not only the innumerable Buddhas of his replicas and so on and so forth, the gods, men, and assurance of the world had great joy. In chapter 11, Shakyamuni Buddha opened the door of the stupa of many treasures Buddha because great eloquence Bodhisattva requested to see many treasures Buddha in the stupa. Before this could be done, Buddha Shakyamuni had to call forth all the Buddhas of his replicas who were expounding the Lotus Sutra in the worlds of the ten quarters. Chapter 22 is the end of this assembly in the sky. Therefore, it is time for all the Buddhas to return to their home worlds. They had, great, they had a great joy because they were able to help the congregation at Mount Sacred Eagle and to meet many treasures Buddha. The gods, men, and assurance of this world had great joy because they were able to hear the supreme teaching of the eternal Buddha, Shakyamuni, and because they inherited all the merits of the eternal Buddha by practicing the Lotus Sutra. So we have great joy. We have great joy because we inherit all of this great teaching when we chant Odaimoku. We naturally inherit it. It manifests itself. It's sort of like uh, if you've ever received an uh, inheritance or will. Someone left you maybe a, a piece of furniture or something that you uh, had wanted as a child or something. Or maybe it was completely unexpected and you received it because of your relationship with that person. Maybe you were their friend or their daughter or uh, a sibling or something. And so our relationship with the Buddha and our practice that cements that relationship ensures us to inherit all the benefits contained in the Lotus Sutra. <clears throat> so uh, this chapter ends the assembly in the sky which started in chapter 11 and ends in this chapter. The rest of the chapters are the second assembly on Mount Sacred Eagle and reveals how the Bodhisattvas expound the Lotus Sutra in the latter age. 
So far, we have understood the sutra by words, but it is hard for us to practice it in our daily lives. Therefore, the Buddha prepares another six chapters for us to practice the Lotus Sutra through the examples of previous lives of Bodhisattvas and also to explain the protection of many deities. So the remainder of the, the uh, Lotus Sutra, which we will not necessarily cover in detail, uh, gives us by example how people practice the Lotus Sutra uh, in their lives and in, other, in such certain certain circumstances and situations. So in our next chapter, in our next session, two weeks from tonight, we will cover uh, the joy, the merits, and uh, what is it? I forget. The joy, the merits, uh, and uh, there was three things. The joy and merits. Anyway, um, it's on the calendar. I'm <laughs> My brain is, uh, has lost it tonight. But, uh, so in two weeks, we'll have our final of the seven uh, summer sessions uh, lectures on the Lotus Sutra. So with that, uh, it is, uh, I've got about five minutes till, so it's about a quarter, quarter it looks like, um, yeah, about five minutes, ten minutes till. So let us go ahead and close by chanting O Dai Voka three times together. I'll do the first one solo. And then you can join in on two and three. Namu Byodang Kyo Namu Byodang Kyo Namu Byodang Kyo Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to whoever uh, joined us online, Shami uh, G Show, or if anybody else joined us since then. Anyway, I hope that uh, you uh, enjoyed tonight's lecture and benefit from it. Again, thank you very much.